Yes. What's up, everybody? Armand, how you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I I can see you have some interesting books on your shelves yes. behind you, so I can so tell today's going to be today's different. Yes. <laughs> what, what you got different there? Day. I have a about a hundred year old book called The Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception. Cosmo Conception, and okay. I'd like to do this because this is pretty funny. Uh, Where's oh highlighting? Okay. Who would highlight? A book that could go in a museum? What an asshole, right? But um, but yeah. So yeah, Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception, quite a crazy book. Things written uh, over a hundred years ago. It's right. It's just stuff that's everything that's kind of happening now. People theories and things people want to talk about. They're already in this book. Of course, Zachariah Sitchin, and so is this one. It was probably his most famous one. The Twelfth Planet. Yep. This is the Anunnaki. What are human beings? Why we're here? And where we're going and our history of who we are it's a yeah. theory i'm not saying i necessarily completely live by it but i find it fascinating so right and then cool. the channeling book uh-huh. uh, raw material, the raw material 80s uh book about a woman channeling various extraterrestrials uh mm-hmm. call, them, call them don't even call them extraterrestrials because they're actually just in another Dimensional states, or you can call them extra dimensional. Uh, I will. I will. I'll make a note of that. Awesome. We'll get into all that in a sec. Put the sauce on it. Like we usually do, we're going to put some sauce on it. Let's take a little sec to talk about some recipes because we're all just stuck at home. I'll tell you something I've been cooking. You'll tell me something you've been cooking. I was thinking I could break down the hummus because I've been making hummus at home. All you need is is uh, a couple ingredients in a blender. It's so easy to make. It just makes me wonder why I ever bought hummus. So yeah. <laughs> here it is. Super simple. You get a can of chickpeas at the supermarket. All the proportions in the recipe work with one can of chickpeas. So it's super easy quantity-wise. And I even find that the liquid that the chickpeas are in in the can help make the hummus creamy. So, so you throw the whole can of chickpeas in the blender, two chopped up garlic, garlic cloves, salt, pepper. Second step, I open up the blender, throw in, I want to say it's half a cup of tahini and a quarter cup of um fresh squeezed lemon juice, some paprika, then turn the blender back on. When it's pretty much done, I also add a little bit of olive oil, just a little sliver of olive oil. Give it one last little run on the blender and it's delicious hummus. It's that simple. Do you put pine nuts in it as well? So so there's certain things that you can add to to personalize your hummus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can put some some pine nuts. You can also put a little bit of, you know, cayenne pepper or, you know, any other... I'm part, yeah, cayenne, yeah, cayenne and paprika too. Yeah. I'm part, yeah, Lebanese, paprika for sure. Yeah, I'm part, Lebanese. yeah, yeah, yeah. Every yep. time I've had Lebanese food, they make the hummus. I love my favorite hummus is Lebanese hummus. So yes. Just like I'm proud to be Lebanese. But yeah. they, um, they always do the pine nuts in the center. But the, they do that pit, they make a pit. Yep. It's yep. Filled, filled with olive oil. Olive and oil. Kind of around that pit in the kind of on the edge of pine nuts and it's like ah like it's, it's just i love that <clears throat> i was making this plate a while uh for a, a long time and then in conversation actually came up last night when i was talking to some mm. friends because uh they ordered a cacio pepe and i'm like i love cacio pepe. Mm. and i used to, I, I i used to make it i haven't made it in a bit like a couple months but um i'm going to make it again because like one of my favorite Italian dishes and it's also as simple as hummus it's a really simple pasta plate um, so my noodle for for cacio pepe yeah the noodle it's a pasta so the noodle that I like to use is bucatini 
And bucatini is okay. like a, a fatter spaghetti, but right. it has a little bit of a hollow section in it. Bucatini is actually might be my favorite noodle. <laughs> I'm gonna remember that for your birthday. I got so, you your favorite noodle. Bucatini. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you basically, you know, you cook the pasta, do the bucatini. I hope I don't have to explain to people at this point that you always do al dente. It's better to, for it to be undercooked than overcooked. The people out there that are destroying their pastas, like making that thing a soggy mess, please stop, please stop. <laughs> so the key thing I noticed to making your bucatini extra special is you have to uh, you grind the pepper, just grind it in a small pot. They say, uh, you know, you're supposed to do like six tablespoons of black pepper, whatever. Just do whatever you feel you want in it, but it's a lot of black pepper. Mm -hmm. And, um, okay. You, I put that, if you leave that in the pot, you don't put anything in the pot. You leave that in the pot, and what you do is heat the pepper with nothing, no water, just wow. the grinded pepper. Yeah. Heat, heat it, there'll be like a slight smoke will come off it, and it'll have an mm. aroma. It's like actually a really pleasant smell. It's hard to explain, mm. but but instantly mm. now you add like massive amount of butter to it. Okay. But you want to get that pepper to get hot, like heated up. So then yeah. it's just the butter. Add a lot of Parmesan, and you add a lot of butter. Cacio e pepe is, is isn't it a specific type of cheese? It's Parmesan. Yeah. I mean, you could do it's Romano, Romano as well. I don't because I, I was gonna say Cacio e pepe is, is is in Rome. It's like the specialty in Rome, right? Uh, well, I don't. I, that's I don't know. And you're right. Italy's very territorial about their pastas and cheese. Yeah. Like, I'm aware of that. I'm very aware. Yeah, of yeah, that. yeah. It's tribal warfare with their food. But um, so, okay, so you got the Parmesan. What I do is I try and have the Parmesan grated mm. and everything just ready to go. So when I add the butter, you kind of just heat up the. the stuff and you get the parmesan you can just then you just add that pot of the butter and black pepper and pepper to yeah the, to the noodles and then you just throw in the uh grated parmesan you stir the whole thing up in a, in, a, yeah. in the pot that you boiled the bucatini in if you want yeah and yeah. it'll just get to this texture you got to do it for a little bit to get it going mm. get it all nicely covered that's pretty much it that's that's the deal aromatic all right what else we got <laughs> <laughs> A track is uh, Aries, a fiery Aries, and I am a uh, Aquarius, and I mm -hmm. want to say an airy Aquarius because people <laughs> think Aquarius are water. We're not water. We are air. Air. So yes, we're air sign, not to be confused with Aries. <laughs> right. So this is A track's horoscope for the week. Right now, mm -hmm. so much of your time is spent wa waiting to see what new ways the universe will find to crash through your life and to grind you into the ground. This week, your task is to remember that even if you can't bring all of society back into alignment, even if you can't end all cruelty and suffering and greed, you aren't powerless. You can find new ways to feel like you're alive and in motion, new ways to feel like an active presence in your life and the world around you. Hmm, I like that. So in other words, don't try to solve the whole entire world. Maybe just smart, small, start small and start around me. Yeah, because I, I I tend to try to do too much. Yeah, I agree. You gotta you gotta go micro, not macro. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'll listen to that, and then Armand, here is your Aquarius weekly horoscope. Your ambitions tend toward the grand, the unpredictable, the world altering. Your dreams for the world are wild and revolutionary. This week, though, is for <laughs> for something different, something that might feel smaller than you're used to. This isn't a week for seeking out new universes or constructing entirely new ways of living. Rather, this is just a week for doing what you can 
to put care back into the world, a week for giving and receiving kindness and warmth. Nice. We are similar to yours. It's similar agenda. Almost, yeah, we got the same thing this week. I love it. Get out of the macro and into the micro. I like it. Yeah, and just keep it simple and just live the week as it is. Yeah. We might, we might not change the world this week, but it's okay. Not this week, no. We're, we could skip a week. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go on. This week, uh, we have a very special guest who, I'm, Armand, you put me on to, to this gentleman. His name is Billy Carson. Maybe you can say a little bit, uh, a few words about who he is. I don't know if I found him or if he just kind of popped up in my algorithm, as they say. Mm -hmm. But whatever, I followed him and I found out, I'm like, wow, this guy's speaking my language. I thought he was fascinating. I also had, there was a guy before him that I discovered, this guy, was, his name is, was David Wilcox. And he mm -hmm. wrote a book called The Source Field Investigation. And I thought okay. that book was amazing. The guy we're having today, Billy Carson, he had been in those, in those circles as well. Just, I just, you can't know everything. So somehow they didn't know about Billy Carson. Yeah. And so we had a really fascinating conversation that felt like it could have gone on for hours and hours. You're much more versed in these kinds of theories than I am. And uh, I think I used to be more of a skeptic and now I'm trying to, uh, with your help, to be honest, I've, I've tried to be more open to different theories. And I think there's um, something admirable about this level of research and knowledge connecting the dots between so many different right theories. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was I a mean, really cool conversation. Of, it really was. And if you think about it too, in short, all science that has become fact started with a crazy person. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, 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 don't 100%. Mean, I don't mean that I'm crazy, but anybody's crazy. It's just that it but comes it, with somebody that's thinking outside the box. Yeah, it takes a level of almost imagination. It takes a level of open-mindedness to even conject some of these hypotheses. So without further ado, let's bring on Billy Carson. <laughs> Cool. So, Billy Carson, welcome to Doug Doug Goose. Thanks for uh, linking up with myself and Armand. Appreciate your time. Yeah, hey, thanks. it is an thanks honor. For me. Thanks for thinking about me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. With the music of Duck Sauce, it's there, there's more dimensions than just the music itself, and and it's it's fun to be able to explore like the conversation we're about to have now. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, sure. yeah, there's cool. always deeper meanings to everything, you know. And absolutely. All about breaking out the deeper meanings, the forbidden knowledge, if you would. Yeah. Uh, it's not totally banned knowledge. It's just kind of forbidden. So you have to really dig for those answers. And so, you know, when we come up, when we come across those as individuals, it's our mission. I think it's our duty to share that information with as many people as we can. Yeah, for sure. And it is. Yeah, that's kind of like my first question to you, which is basically like... Do you feel that hidden or, in a sense, and or forbidden knowledge is kind of pushing its way out of the esoteric and kind of into the mainstream, you know, in a sense where, yeah. like, the truths that we kind of were taught and learned mm -hmm. and, you know, basically brought up with are changing now and our reality is changing somewhat. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Um, oh, I agree a thousand percent. I okay. mean, when I first started this, okay, we're talking about going all the way back now. Uh, meaning my start, my started researching. This was mm. 1977. Okay, wow. so in 1977, that's when I literally started researching out of the Encyclopedia Britannica's aerospace because I saw what I thought could have been something not of this earth in my backyard. It looked like a UFO, but UFO okay. didn't exist in my vocabulary at that moment. Okay. I just yeah. knew that what I saw was an airplane. You know, I yeah. live by an airport in Opelika in Miami, Opelika, Hialeah. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I live yeah, by an airport. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I knew yeah. what an airplane looked like, you know. Well, you moved to the next and, to Miami International, right? <clears throat> well, I wasn't all the way down there, but you can see those planes go down as well. But they, oh, the okay, private airport. Oh, you had the open over the private airport. Yeah, I know, I know that. Right. Yeah, they yeah. would fly over my backyard, and I would just go yeah. outside and watch them go across the horizon. And one day, this object came across the horizon, and it didn't look like a plane. It was more oval, not circular, but more oval, elongated. And it was like a gleaming metal, and it went across the horizon in seconds, not minutes. And a typical plane mm. takes about 10 minutes to go all the way across, so I couldn't see it anymore. Mm. So I knew what I saw just was an airplane. So the next day, I went to my school, my elementary school, Rainbow Park, and I literally took down all the Encyclopedia Britannicas on aerospace and started studying. That was the day I started researching this stuff. Cool. Um, and at, I started talking to some, fr- some friends, some close friends about these topics. Could this be from space? Could it be from the ocean? We were kind of debating as little kids. Mm-hmm. And um, with no influence from outside sources to say these are aliens because you had four TV channels back then. No cable TV existed. No cell phones. Not, not even beepers existed yet. Okay? 1970s. Uh, so this is all just our own speculation as kids. Where could that, where could that thing have come from? And um, we started having private meetings in the bushes, like in, on one of the sides of our houses. Then it expanded to VHS tapes that we would get and we would exchange conspiracies. Then it moved into CDs. Then it went to DVDs. Then it went to cassettes. Then it went to forums and web blogs, now social media, and now streaming TV. So that yeah. progression, you know, it's like... Yeah. Straight up, you know, like a rocket ship where information was so sequestered and so, uh, you know, silent and you couldn't speak about it. You'd be considered a whack job to now. I can hear people openly talking about these kinds of topics at restaurants and parks and everywhere else, even on airplanes, you know. So Hmm. we are headed towards that that breakthrough to go full mainstream. And that's why I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And people go, why do you? You know, why are you trying to get this information out there? Why are you trying to be on TV and blah, blah, blah? Well, why not? They're on, they're on TV. They're trying to program you. Why can't I program you with what I know the right way instead of what they're doing, in my opinion, is the wrong way and give you the real knowledge so that you can have at least have something to think, balance out and say, well, you know, maybe this is something that can help me. Maybe it isn't. But at least you have a choice instead of just getting one view all the time, you know? Uh, and that's why I just made the decision, I think, about maybe seven years ago now that I'm going to push this as hard as I can push it and take it to as big as it could possibly get. Because one thing I did learn in my studies was that in order to get to a golden age, all all of these things, all these illusions and delusions that we have are going to fall Mm. to the wayside. This information is going to become, become commonplace. So I said, I'm just going to become, uh, continue to push. I'm like a pioneer, you know? Yeah. So, so since you're touching on your background and I'm just thinking that there, you know, there might be people in our audience who might not be familiar. Um, why don't we, why don't we take a sec for you to, um, tell us, you know, the full picture of what you do, because I know that you're, you're an author. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know you're active on, on television, like you mentioned, I know you even have a, a I want to, I believe a, a rocket a startup company. There's some uh, research. A, uh, space agency and we're doing research and development on propulsion systems, as well as um, um, perpetual generators. And I invented a battery, which is now patent pending. Amazing. So so even for the full picture of who is Billy Carson and what you do, what, how, you know, how would you um, um, introduce that? The short answer is I create ripples in the space time continuum that alter future realities in the third dimension. That's the short version. (laughs) (laughs) As as we all should. (laughs) Right, exactly. 
Uh, the long version is uh, I'm a TV host. I'm considered an expert host on Deep Space by Gaia. I'm an expert host on Ancient Civilizations. I'm on uh, American Mystery on the Discovery Channel, uh, where we mm-hmm. talk about uh, different mysteries from as far as the ancient past, even to more current era. I'm also on UFOs, The Untold Truth, and UFOs, The, um, the Lost Evidence, which is on the Travel Channel, both of those shows. I'm on the Science Channel. I mean, I'm on so many shows. I'm, I'm like a, considered an expert in ancient civilizations and advanced or suppressed technologies. Uh, I'm also a blogger. I'm, I'm a social media manager. I have 139 social media accounts that I own across all platforms. Now I have over 4 million followers and growing every single day. I Congrats. also now am a owner of a TV network for Vidin Knowledge TV. And wow. we are on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and of course, all the app stores as well. And that's growing phenomenally. And I now also own my own social media platform, Unite the 99, on uh, iOS for Apple and also for Android as well. Cool. Awesome. So then I'm also awesome. a music producer. I've been on Billboard 2018, eight weeks on Billboard, Return to Venky with Donnie Arcade. Yeah. Um, I've got 120 songs in global distribution right now. Right. I, I was watching a music video that you have, uh, that you posted on your Instagram not that long ago. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that, you, right. I think that was it. Yeah. The video was yeah. really impressive too. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's, yeah, it's safe to say you can multitask. <laughs> I can multitask. Yeah, I keep tabs open at all times on my laptop here. All times. <laughs> <laughs> That's, <where I> <laughs> That's crazy. Well, yeah. Up and down all day long like a piano keyboard. That's awesome. I, uh, yeah. So, what was kind of like? You know, I know that you said how you first got into it with the when you kind of thought you saw a UFO or. For sure, you saw a UFO in your backyard. Um, but what was kind of like one of the the first? What was the book? Or like you actually two things. One, you explained you had a crew that you would run your knowledge by. I thought I think that's awesome. Did you guys have a yeah. name of your crew, or is it just like just we just like really a have, thing? We just we didn't really have a name, but we would just go in the bushes and talk. It was four of us, and that's people cool. would come like, and really see cool. what we were hanging out and you know yeah. and talking about. We have a, yeah. built a little clubhouse with some spare wood and stuff, yeah. and people would come back there and start. You know, trying to find out what we were doing. So we actually used to dig, used to dig traps and holes in the ground and cover them with leaves. Yeah. <laughs> so when people come back, that they fall in the holes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stuff, okay. uh, cool. I never talked about this before. You guys pull this one out of me. But All anyway, right. um, <laughs> Brian Perry, if you ever watch this, he's going to laugh his butt off because he knows what I'm talking about. We try to keep people away from coming back in, you know, to our secret meetings, you know, our own little secret society that we kind of started to talk about these aliens and stuff. But yeah, so we, we started back then. Um, and I really began to believe the more I started looking into books, because the Encyclopedia Britannica sales rep came to my house a week after I started studying at the school. And, that, and my mom got approved for the whole set. And I was like, mm. in heaven. And so the more I started looking into these ancient civilizations, even though it was the mainstream version, in my mind, I was like, wait, there's something more here. You know, Mm. as a little kid, I knew this already. And I told my mom in like 1978, I told my mom, I said, I just feel like I don't belong here. You know, and uh, I was standing, I was staring out the picture window at the house that we were renting. And she came up behind me and said, what's wrong, son? I said, I feel like I don't belong here. I just feel like I'm a man outside of time. She's like, wow. And she started telling me about Machu Picchu aliens mm. there's ancient airports on this planet and everything that we see was already here before this is just a rediscovery my mom this is back in the 70s 
Mm. She knew about all this stuff already, but no extra influence from all this stuff that's going on now. So it then became my life's quest to dig and find out as much information as I possibly could on what's really going on behind the scenes. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So what books so, did you read that kind of changed you a bit? Like, like if you could pick one book that was like, I found this book and it's kind of like your book that really set you off in the direction you're in now. Would you have one offhand? Or? Well, there was one before I got to the, the, the main book was the Animal Tablets of Filth, but I got to that later. The first okay. book that really just expanded my brain yeah. was um, The Gods of Eden by William what, Bramley. William Bramley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. read that book. That's a great yeah. one. That's good. That yeah. opened me up to understand how they had uh, – Politics in the ancient past, by, mm-hmm. by you know, bicameral Congress, they had the um, mm-hmm. uh, the structure just set up to have inflation and all. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned from the ground up how we got to where we are right now. Yeah, and for me, yeah, it yeah. was a, the biggest eye opener, and all the dots were connected through that. Your story is very. I'm, I hate this. I mean, Alan, you're up next for the question, but mm-hmm. your story is very similar to my story. It's crazy. Wow. Like I know we don't know each other at all, but I've had. Gods of Eden book was also one of the first books that blew my head back. Oh, and I'm not making that up. I have it right here, but I, have, I brought these books down because I have the Zachariah Sitchin books and okay. the mm-hmm. one and stuff like that. But I can make a raw book. Yeah, I, I have the, the Co- Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception here. You know, that, wow. that was a crazy, you know, things like that. But, you know, it's just, it's interesting that, you know, your story is somewhat similar to mine, especially when you said to your mother that you don't feel like you're from here. Because yeah. I've had somewhat of a, I've had that many times in my life where things would be going on in the world. I'd be kind of looking at my life or putting, or, or just in a sense, soul, doing a soul searching moment. And I'd yeah. be like, like, you know, like, I just, I just don't even understand the, the suffering of this realm. Like, I don't, so I always feel like I don't really get why there's suffering in this realm. And so I would always feel like I must be from somewhere else. I must come from a place where there was no suffering as part of the yeah. existence. You know what right. Because I just cannot stand it. Yeah. So, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 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 That's real, man. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm a little bit on. I'm 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 less. Uh, I would say I'm less uh, versed in some of these mm-hmm. theories. I'm 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 familiar with some of the general concepts, and I would, you know, I'm open minded to it. But a lot of times, even just hanging out with Armand, he'll tell me a little bit more about this perspective of things from what I've gathered. And even some of the interviews with you that I've watched um, in the past, there's these ancient civilizations that uh, seem to have had contact with extraterrestrial forms. And then I, I assume there's a point in history where that becomes hidden. When do you think that happens? When, the, when does it get to a point in the chronology where that part yeah. of the backstory gets buried? It's like, right yeah. around the, the, uh, the, the quote unquote, what they call the death of Christ in that time frame. Um, okay. Now, what's amazing is, and even based on my research, I don't believe that there was a crucifixion of any type of uh, mm. Yeshua, who was actually, we know him now as Jesus Christ, but the name Jesus actually means hell, Zeus. Uh, so mm. you, nobody should really be calling, calling him that. It was a real person, though, because I've been to his house in uh, Egypt, where he disappeared from the Bible and went to Egypt to learn the Egyptian mysteries. To yeah, go then to Egyptian Tibet to learn Reiki right? healing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. He, he did all that. And there's a book called The Gospel of the Holy Twelve. Uh, it's an ancient scripture, and uh, it's very expensive. You can find a used version for like 150 but a mint like I got was like 650 bucks. And um, and then you uh, you find out that he went to Tibet to get do Reiki healing, and he went to um, 
India to learn the mystic arts and he taught reincarnation. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is because around that time frame, you begin to then, when you go into the uh, apocryphal text, you realize that his, his grandmother, Mary's mother, was a virgin birth. So that's artificial insemination. When that, when you see mm. that happening, you see that there's interactions here. But right around that time frame of this Yeshua figure is when the separation started to become like they became more hidden figures. And now they're moving more mysteriously. We're going to artificially inseminate his grandmother. Then through that line, we're going to bring this up the second artificial insemination, uh, which was Yeshua. And in my opinion, he's probably half human, half Anunnaki, or he could be all uh, Anunnaki or, or Atlantean that decided a new way. They discovered a new technology to bring uh, themselves through a womb and come back with full memories to experience the perspective of growing up as a human. Because when you got live for, when you live for tens of thousands of years, you get bored and you want to find out all human beings and everything in the universe is on a data collection mission. That's all we do is collect information. We collect, collect, collect data and process it. As a being that's that intelligent, eventually you get, oh, but you know, let me come through the womb and see what it's like to be one of them. Mm. And it could be Thoth himself who did this. So Yeshua could be Thoth the Atlantean, the same person that I wrote about in my book. It could be another incarnation of himself. He used to transfer into avatar bodies. This time he could have tried to come through a womb of a human being. So around that time frame is when we start to see the separation and they become more hidden. And, um, and then they become more mystical God figures, sky daddies, if you will, with magic wands versus a person that uh, is actually interacting directly with the human population. Uh, and even Thoth talks about it in the Animal Tablets that he's going he's gonna to leave for a while. And he said, keep my commandments. You know, he's talking to the man of Kim keep my commandments and, and, and all the teachings that I've done with you, but I'm going to go away for a while. And after he was gone for an extended period of time, the pyramid priest deified him after he left. All of a sudden, now he became a god. When he was there, he ruled over as a king for 14,000 years. When he disappeared, he actually left and went to Mesoamerica and kicked out of the Mayan civilization. But when he was gone for a while, all of a sudden he became a god. We keep doing that. But after the Mayan civilization disappeared, when the Teotihuacans left that, that's when it really vanished globally, this Atlantean civilization. So right around that time frame, it just started to just, you know, they went to the, they went hidden on everything. And um, why? There's no real explanation as to why. Um, it almost seems as if this is some type of a potential growing period or a small window of opportunity to see what mankind's going to do, uh, how they can expand. But there are also these other bloodlines that were left behind that are still here that want to keep that information suppressed from the general population of the world because once we wake up to that they can't rule over us anymore so this is ruling oligarchy that's trying to keep this knowledge hidden of their own ancestors and our ancestors so that they can keep the power and control over us and if, if we all will wake up tomorrow and realize what the real ancient history was that there were advanced beings engaging mankind that looked just like us and we looked just like them and that um, they're probably a creator of the universe, but the ones written about in these holy books aren't the creator of the universe. And then religious systems will collapse. And you're talking about a multi-trillion dollar industry. Just in America alone, the religious money generates in one year more than all of the tech companies in Silicon Valley combined. Mm. You never hear about that on the news. That's just in one year. So that's a multi-trillion dollar global industry collapsing overnight. Fiat system currency collapsing, taxes collapse, 
All these things collapse. Why? Because we just say, you know what? We're not playing your game anymore. We're not going to go to work. We're not going to pay our bills. We're not going to pay mortgage and student loan payments. We're not going to do any of this anymore. When, and when hundreds of millions of people do it at once, the system collapses and starts anew. And that's what they're trying to avoid. But they can't. No. But do, do you no feel that? Do you feel through. that's? Do you feel that's inevitable going to happen in a sense, and even in somewhat in the future? Like it kind of. Do I? I, I just feel. Like, yeah, things – I feel like certain things are coming to a head in certain ways. It's tough to say because history has been through a lot already. But do you mm-hmm. feel that it's like things are coming to a head where it's like, you know what, the system – the so if you think about it, reality is uh, is free will through choice, right? So yeah. we've we've gotten to the – this somebody invented – I you have two cows and I have two goats, but I need <laughs> those goats. You know what I'm saying? And so that yeah. started – the bartering thing. And then that somebody said, Oh, let's make money. Then we, now we're in this system of capitalism, mm-hmm. yeah. but we didn't have to, when we first had the cows and the goats, we could have just gave each other the cows and the goats. Right. Like, a, exactly. you know, we didn't have to go and steer down this path. So now I feel like whatever time frame that was, we chose unwisely. <laughs> yeah. And we're in this reality, we're in this reality now. And it's like, I think this reality time window has had its run. And I think it's like the, the hitting the reset button fully is mm-hmm. probably yeah. overdue. You know, like, yeah, what, do you, think? Overdue. what do you think? Entropy. Entropy exists and yeah. permeates the entire universe. Entropy yeah, states in science that all things move from an ordered state to a disordered state. To disorder, yeah. All things, you know, yeah. Yeah. including mm-hmm. life and then death and then rebirth. So it resets. Everything has reset. There is no empire in any book. And I've read over a thousand books now. There's no empire ever that I've read that persisted forever. Yeah. And neither will this empire that we're currently in right now, this global hegemonic, you know, uh, empire that's running this planet right now, that won't persist forever. And because of that, everything has this window of opportunity. And this window is closing very slowly, but it's closing uh, so eventually we will head back in, up into another golden age. And in the golden age, there is no racism. There is no police brutality. There is no uh, capitalism. None of this stuff exists in a, in a golden age. Lifespans are extended. Uh, unconditional love is, the, is your currency. Your status in society is how good are you at what you do and how you help others. You know, mm-hmm. all these types of things. It's a whole new way of living that's coming to this planet and we are literally like the pioneers and we're planting seeds that are going to grow into big trees that are going to have huge shades. But we're probably never going to sit in that shade. But we're planting the seeds to make that happen. So we're like the pioneers and we'll we'll, we'll watch it happen from another dimension. Uh, but these avatar bodies will expire before that happens. Well, I have a question about that, about the, the idea of avatar bodies and even the idea that certain alien um, beings visited, visited us and possibly, possibly even infiltrated uh, human civilization, you know, just to zoom out and, and, and look at it, look at this from a more sort of statistical standpoint, you know, on one hand, um, statistically aliens really must exist, right? Like there's the odds that we're the only planet with some sort of life, life form are, are pretty much impossible, but also statistically, in my opinion, anyways, the odds that aliens would look sort of human-like, anthropomorphic, the idea that, a, that an alien form would have a head, two arms, two legs, and even be in the same scale of size as us are kind of thin. An alien could be microscopic, or it could be, you know, the size of our whole planet, that could be one being. So, so what, what, what leads you to believe that there were aliens that were even comparable to us that visited us? 
Yeah. A couple things. This, first of all, you brought up a very good topic. And I'm glad you nobody's ever brought this up before. Okay. okay. And this is I'm glad you did because this is a great discussion. Uh, first mm -hmm. of all, you're right. Aliens can come in any various shapes and sizes. We've got extremophiles on this planet, extremophiles that don't live on oxygen. They live on acid and they mm -hmm. some live on carbon uh, monoxide. And so we got these aliens that are kind of really already here. And it could be anything on any planet, any size, any shape, any form, any color. Um, now, when you go deep into the tablets, I'm talking about beyond the Sumerian tablets, into the Mahabharata, all these ancient texts, you know, and you dig into them, you start to realize that there was um, and the origins of this hominid body on this planet originated in the Pleiades. So mm -hmm. in the Pleiades, which is what they call the Seven Sisters, is talked about in Homer's Elite, is talked about in the Bible. It's talked Pleiades about star, the Pleiades star system, yeah. yeah. The Pleiades star system. Yeah, it's yeah, in a, yeah. a lot of, I have a lot of artifacts that I've collected from around the world and replica of a lot of artifacts that exist in museums. And 80% of them have the Pleiades on them. Yeah. I just got okay, back from Australia in the Australian bush with all the fires and found a proto-Egyptian temple, makeshift temple etched into the stone is um, on one side is the Pleiades and the other side is proto-Egyptian. One side can't be translated, the other side can. This has already been verified that by the, um, the Board of Antiquities of, of Cairo that this real proto-Egyptian there and it's ancient because there's patina in the grooves of the glyphs, which can be dated. So we know this going mm -hmm. back 6,000 years. And the point being is even there we have these Pleiadian glyphs. So uh, the Aboriginal people who I met with the Aboriginal elders, they're the first people. They claim that they're the first people on this planet. And they were brought here by who? The Pleiadians. And so you find that there's a, a galactic war in that region of space. The Pleiades looks like seven stars, but it's really millions of stars. Uh, the way it's set up from Earth, it looks like seven glowing stars. And okay. in that star system, this ancient galactic war, they had something called the destroyer. Uh, there's the destroyer of worlds or the Brahma weapon in the Mahabharata. It can destroy any man on three planets. It literally was a planet destroyer. This thing started blowing up planets, debris, chunks the size of half of Earth was smashing into other planets and inhabited planets. People were fleeing, whoever can get away. They became space refugees. It sounds like a story, you know, an incredible movie, which is called Chronicles of the Anunnaki. I'm making a movie based on these tablets. It's sort of oh, going cool. to the Aldebaran, Epsilon Boetis star system. Sirius, uh, Orion, the various star systems where we know, and then also some crash landed on a brown uh, on a planet orbiting a brown dwarf named uh, in in the Jewish Torah Marduk in the Sumerian tablets in Umilish Nibiru. Okay, and it got captured mm -hmm. gravitationally by our solar system. These were people that looked like us. Slight variations here and there, slight variations in sizes as well. We discovered that according to the writings of the the scribes of the Sumerians. A lot of these guys were pretty big, the older ancient ones like uh, Enlil and Enki and Anu and Ninma and all of those people when they got here. As they began to mate with humans and, uh, and co-create with humans, the sizes started dropping. You know, it was 20 feet, 15 feet, 13 feet, 10 feet, 7 feet. So the sizes started dropping gradually. But this same uh, bilateral bipedal form is seems to be standard. Now, there's another ancient text called the Terra Papers, which are from the uh, American, Native American tribe, um, I think it's Lakota. Uh, and no, I'm sorry, not Lakota. It's the um, uh, this, uh, other tribe here. Uh, Anasazi? 
the blue no? Kachina and uh, the red Kachina. Um, it'll come back to me in a second, the name it's of the right, tribe. Yeah. But, yeah, they have the documents. And the documents, they literally read like Star Wars, the movie series. And when you read mm -hmm. them, they talk about the creation or the, the formation of life on other planets that were discovered. It all starting out uh, animal-like. Eventually, somebody seeds these planets with bilateral, bipedal, uh, hominid type. Now, some were insectoid type, some were human-like-us type, some were reptilian-style type, but all of them had the same thing in common. Uh, you can slice it, slice it in half, and you can split us in, you know, we have equal parts, and we have fingers that can manipulate. So what it mm. seemed like, according to these terror papers, when you really dig into them, you start to realize that all the ones that were able to, that became sentient beings and were able to leave their planets to go travel the stars, all had hands and, and eyes and, and almost walked upright in most cases. And because of we, we have these hands and the, and the sentient consciousness, we can manipulate the, the, uh, our, our, our environment, whereas other animals, like a whale, can, is probably more intelligent than a human, but because it doesn't have hands that can manipulate the environment, it's stuck in the ocean. It can't do it. It can't right. come out of the water and walk around. And even though we're much weaker and in a lot of cases less intelligent, we have these which help us to manipulate the environment around us. And because of that, we have the ability to leave. And all these species have that same thing in common. Bilateral, bipedal hominids with hands that can manipulate their, their, their surroundings, their environment, and leave and do you know, go into space. So as a matter of fact, I think George Lucas probably read the Terra Papers you know, 40, 50 decades ago, 40, 50 years ago, and mm. he made the movie series based on this because it's the exact story except the love stories and stuff. I mean, it's the exact <laughs> same story. It's really amazing. You got to check it out. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So I just think yeah, that so, we're, perm we're perm you know, hominids like this are everywhere. Yeah. Well, it could also just be that's the, the architecture of the universe in itself is that, that maybe all planets evolve on their own just through time just through time uh and, and through the the environments of that particular solar system and then some types of life like certain temps and it, and it evolved it evolves on that thing and then eventually somebody comes along like the anunnaki or us ten thousand years in the future or you name it mm -hmm. and yeah. it's it's not necessarily what's the term per per per, per uh, Perspermia, right? Panspermia, yeah. Not panspermia. It could just be because panspermia is stuff from Africa. Does that mean like cross cross contamination between panspermia means like asteroids, yeah, bringing life to planets that don't have life yet, but they have the environment that's ripe for life. They just need that asteroid with life on it to start the life there. But it's yeah. it's a long it's a long process to yeah. get let's say a chimpanzee, um, <laughs> you know. But the thing is, is like um, supposedly there's a theory that all worlds that in a, I hate to use the term intelligent life because like you said a whale could be more intelligent yeah. than a human, but in a sense like you said bipedal hands that manipulate its environment. Yeah. Supposedly there's a theory that they this is every planet gets to our, has gotten to our stage where there's a hybridization program that happens. It just, the people come it, down here, happened. they just go, it's hey, happened. we need, we want, like, either they just love it down here or they, they, they create some beings or they like some of the natural beings that are here, like our early um, Neanderthal or Cro-Magnon and, 
they just I don't I don't know they just want to procreate with them and then well, and then it's just, just like, like oh we're but very inquisitive yeah. we yeah. like to we, we yeah. ask questions we explore yeah. um, you know we 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 want we send probes out into space we want to see what's going on and if yeah. we had the capability you know besides the hidden programs like they're just us me and you I would be on a ship tomorrow if I could and I'd yeah. go observe another civilization that's a budding growing civilization and I'd monitor and watch them. As a matter of fact, in my book, Thoth himself talks about visiting other planets and watching civilizations rise and fall. You know, so I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. And so we, you know, we would do it too. So we're already doing, we go and set up these hides in the, in, in the Sahara and we get inside of these hides and we put the cameras and we watch the leopards and we watch the lions and we just mm-hmm. want to see how they live and how they die and everything else. Well, that's what's happening to us right now. There's beings that are a million years ahead of us that are doing the same thing to us. Mm. Mm. Well, that, that part's interesting yeah. to me too, because, um, you know, again, even to touch on one of the things I mentioned earlier, the, the, the odds that alien life forms exist are pretty un, undoubtable. But the part that I find a little bit more challenging to compute sometimes is for an alien life form to exist on another planet is one thing, but for it to be able, or even for us at one point, to be able to travel to other planets or other galaxies and observe, there's so many things that become obstacles to that. If you think about humans, even temperature, right? Like if climate mm-hmm. change changes the temperature of our planet by like three degrees, a whole bunch of shit goes wrong. Ice caps mm-hmm. melt, disease changes. If we go on another planet where the temperature is hundreds of degrees different, we can't survive. And another thought on that is the more the more observing ourselves, the more humanity evolves. As much as you were mentioning that we're curious and we observe the animals in the Sahara and the whales and this and that, I find that humans are looking inward more and more and we're and like microchips are developing at a rate where we could probably just analyze everything on a computer sooner than we could go out to outer space. So the the uh the part that I find at least less certain is the is the idea of space travel and going from one planet to the other. Yeah. Um, be, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I I think um, thinking about the knowledge of humanity throughout history, I feel like mm-hmm. humans are quick to make a theory, swear that it's real until it gets proven wrong, and then make another theory, swear that it's That's real, accurate. and so That's on. Right? And, <laughs> right, and so I think it's important for us to always keep a certain amount of skepticism in 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 our theories, and so. Right. And, and the, um, you know, with, without being critical, because I, I really uh, admire your, your, uh, your, your knowledge and, and how deep you've gotten into this. You, you're, you speak about certain um, alien forms and historical facts with a lot of certainty. And it, is that because so many different historical civilizations have pointed to the same story? I'm, I'm like, I'm, is it because you're getting the same accounts from so many different civilizations yeah. that you're saying this must be true? Yeah, Occam's Occam's Razor, right? Yeah, well, I read over a thousand texts. I mean, you have Drake's equation, which, you know, uh, talks about the amount of life that uh, potentially exists right around Mm -hmm. us. But going into these texts, getting the same story from civilizations all around the entire planet. That's interesting to me. But came from the sky and that we resembled them in some way. There were some distinguishing factors. Otherwise, but other than that, for the most part, the the physiology was very similar. And we're talking about many uh, civilizations around the planet through many time frames going back as far as you can go, even mm-hmm. going back 36,000 years to the Animal Tablets of Thoth, it still comes up with the same exact scenario. 
But then when I started doing the anomaly hunting, so I formed an organization called the United Family of Anomaly Hunters, UFA for short, U-F-A-H. And it's 14 of us. And we started gathering data from the European Space Agency, NASA, um, the Russian Space Agency, China, India, all the space agencies. We collected all their data. In other words, they, they transmit all the space probe images back and some video and some sound as well, believe it or not, from some of these planets and moons that we've sent probes to. So we've downloaded over a million images. And out of that, we've got about 58,000 anomalies cataloged, well-cataloged things that are real anomalies that should not, in other words, they don't belong where they are. Things that look like they don't belong there. Is that called Oop-Arts? Oop arts, yes, exactly. Oop arts, oop arts, yeah. They don't belong there. These things are artifacts, right? Okay. Yes, they look intelligently designed. Now, Uh when you start analyzing and realizing, okay, yes, you can go to another planet, and you may not be able to withstand the barometric pressure. You may not be able to withstand the temperature swings unless you have technology. Like the Anunnaki, when they came here initially, they had to genetically modify themselves to adjust to planet Earth. So initially, they had these special suits on. The Dogon said they looked like fishmen, and various people <laughs> said they looked like birds and reptiles. But the, the bird was really a helmet. They used to walk around with this with the eagle's mask, they called it. And anytime they would take a trip in their ship, they would put the eagle's mask on. It was probably a helmet that had the eagle painted on the side for, for whatever intensive purposes. And, the, you know, less developed people say, oh, it's an eagle mask. It's, a, mm. it's you know, they're Birdman or whatever. Uh, but they looked like they had on, you know, these types of suits. They had bigger eyes because their planet was darker. They would wear these goggles. Mm. A lot of the artifacts that I have, you always see these beings with these special kind of goggles on. They have these special wristwatches and these bags, which kind of look like life support bags. I did a whole video on this. When you look at the life support bags of the uh, astronauts getting on the Apollo missions, they look just like the same exact bag that the Anunnaki are carrying. And that bag, they're carrying this bag. Everywhere you see them all around the world, even in Mexico, you see the Anunnaki etched into stone with the bag. You look in Iraq, you look in Egypt. And then when you start analyzing all of the different cultures, India, you have uh, Shiva and you have all these people. Some are blue, some are green in, in, in Africa, in, 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 which is in Egypt, Egypt is in Africa. You have uh, depictions of Ra, who's blue. OK. Mm-hmm. And the according to the, the indigenous people there, this man that was considered to be a god was really blue. Shiva was also blue. So you have all these blue people that were around. You had so many different um, variations, all kind of still having a similar look. But when you look at the data that came back from uh, Mercury, now Mercury is the first planet to the sun in our solar system. It's supposed to be very hot, raining molten lead. Guess what? Throw that all out the window because the Mercury messenger mission just debunked all of that and NASA had to rewrite their own books, their own science books. Mercury rotates once on its axis every 60 days or so. We rotate in 24 hours. It takes 60 yeah. days for it to make one rotation on its own axis. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, because of that, the majority of the planet is not in direct sunlight. It's being mm-hmm. shielded from the sun. Then they mm-hmm. discover that there's huge pockets and areas on Mercury that have billions of tons of liquid water and organic, this is their exact statement, organic material on Mercury and mm-hmm. billions of tons of, of ice as well when you go towards the, the poles. So I started looking into the science data that came back. All of a sudden, Mercury has 41% oxygen. Earth has 22%, I believe. 
They mm-hmm. have argon gas, the same gases we have, krypton mm-hmm. and helium and all the same gas that we're breathing in right now. We don't breathe in 100% oxygen, we pass out. We breathe in yeah. a combination of gases. And sure. mercury, those same gases exist. We can now, the only difference is the gravity. When you, if you went to, from Earth to Mercury, because Mercury is so much, so much smaller than Earth, you'd be a Superman. Okay? <laughs> if you go from Earth to Mars, you'd be able to pick up a giant boulder the size of a small car and throw it right now, today, because you grew up inside of Earth's gravity. This yeah. is where we get a lot of the accounts of these supermen coming to Earth, and these, they call them the heroes of old, and these savants. They had all this strength. They came from bigger planets. Nibiru was supposedly six times larger than Earth. All of a sudden, you come here, you genetically modify yourself, you adjust to this atmosphere, adjust to the lighting over time, and, but you have all this strength. You're, you're like a Superman. You could jump over a building if you wanted to because your gravity, your bone density is based on a gravity six times that of Earth. Uh, you know, so it's so many things that can come into play. And yes, you're right. Sure. It's all theory. It's all conjecture. We're all mm-hmm. basing, I'm basing what I know off of what I've read and the accounts of people that are long gone and passed away. Mm. Uh, but when I just see the consistency of the story over time from people who didn't that. relate, that's just kind right. of where I you know, come up with the theory and a lot of people yeah. have, you know, as well. But there still is a question mark there. Could it be possible that it's all just mythological uh, misunderstandings? You know, I mean, it's all possible as well. But I just kind of go with like in court, you have circumstantial evidence. You can be put in prison for that. <laughs> so yeah. That's kind of the way I go, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, so uh, Armand, I know you had some a couple of theories to to uh, bring up. Do you want to yeah, bring I mean, those? Yeah, I, I have a I I have theories all day long, so I got to be careful <laughs> careful with my theories. But one that was back to what you were saying about Elen, you were kind of asking about space travel and how is that even possible, and how's this, and then and then Billy was talking about the various forms and actually, you know, the how they can, uh, in a sense, assume a form that they're, where they're from and the differences in their gravity and the planets. And I'm cool. I, I'm, and I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent in with that, but I had a theory that's relative to that where, so I've also read a lot of the spiritual side of things, just where it's just the spirit. So the spirit in a gaseous state, um, mm. which I believe all is all we are really is a spirit on a journey. And it, that spirit only knows to eat, to refine. So it's mm. like in a sense of light, it's kind of like it's like taking away all of the descriptions in a book and language, and it's none of it's important. It's like there's a spirit, and it's of this universe everywhere, and all it all it wants to do is have experience and to mm-hmm. refine itself. That's all it knows. And so it adjoin it it'll when we're born, we're, you're born into a body, but there's a spirit encased in it. So the body's just a vessel. So now you're yeah. bound to like while we're speaking in the millions of other worlds in the universe or billions and there's things that are being born in um, uh, dimensional states like ours that are going through the same process, you know? So mm-hmm. it's kind of like the spirit is just uh, a, a thing everywhere that all it want, knows is to refine. So with I, that I, said, I for, tra- for traveling through space, what I was thinking was that these extraterrestrials, aliens, whatever, have found a way to, man, to, to know there is no death. There's no such thing as death. The spirit does not die. The body dies. And they mm-hmm. know that. So what they did was they found a way to manipulate the spirit and know they don't die with the next realm that they arrive to through tech, with technology. This is an odd theory, but I'm thinking that that's what they do is they go, if we can assume a gaseous state mm-hmm. and we don't necessarily need 
the boundaries of the dangers of the universe as as a body mm. we, we i can just they could just travel as a spirit which can be anywhere mm. at any time it's only yeah. when they want to come down to a third dimensional world if you want to say that they have to assume a form you know mm. that's just a crazy <laughs> theory I don't know if I'm uh, off, but, you know. So. No, I don't think you're off yeah. at all. I talked about this in yeah. several of my lectures. There's different yeah. types of beings and different different densities. Yeah. Uh, right now, we're in the third density, right? The third yeah. dimension. Now, because mm -hmm. we're in the third dimension, we can easily observe the second and the first dimension. The first dimension, mm -hmm. we draw lines on paper. That's, mm -hmm. we do that when we were kids. We, we were manipulating the first dimension, okay? Second yeah. dimension is uh, two-dimensional objects like CAD designs on computers and so forth. It's two-dimensional. It has, you know, uh, two lines that intersect, give it an, uh, an illusion of an angle or illusion of density that really doesn't exist. And because of that, if you draw a house that looks like a box on a piece of paper, because we're in the third dimension, we can see in any room we want to in that house. We can even manipulate what we have drawn there uh, or computerized there or digitized. Then you have us in the third dimension, X on XYZ axis that gives us this up, down, left, right, mobility, but then there's beings above us in the fourth, fifth, sixth, all the way through the 11th dimension. And from any dimension higher than the third, the past, present, and future exist all at once. We have an illusion of an arrow of time to point us in a specific direction so that we don't get too confused, so that we can make it to this Zoom meeting at exactly 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Higher beings in different densities that may be more etherical, that don't need the avatar meat suit that we have on, you know, they're observing us from a different perspective. We imagine a house and in the house there's rooms and in those rooms, we're all in different rooms of the house at different times. And so they're observing us in different rooms, doing different things at the same time in that house. That's the best I can kind of, you know, compactify it. Uh, but there are, in my opinion, beings that have the capability of, uh, phase shifting their frequency, because everything exists on the, in the entire universe is a frequency. They phase shift their frequency to match the frequency of the density that they want to go into. There's some real advanced people out there. So they can literally transfer from a fifth dimension into a third, and they can take on an avatar body. In the uh, Emerald Tablets, uh, Thoth talks about the fact that they saw uh, the men on this density suffering. And he says that we assumed bodies or we created bodies and went down to interact with them or engage with them. And they said they, they walk amongst men, but unlike a man. So you're talking about people that potentially coming from other dimensions and interacting. And not only that, when we develop the technology, we've already discovered that we're living in a multiverse. If we can identify the atomic frequency of that multiverse, and then we develop the technology that can phase shift our atomic frequency to match, we can walk right into another universe. And it's not far because everything is compactified on top of each other. I mean, less than Planck units connected above the 90 degree angles. So to get to the next dimension up in a 90 degree angle, it's literally just a matter of matching the frequency. You slip right into it. There's nowhere to go or no ship to get into. There's no car to drive in. There's no rocket ship you need. You walk from one step into another place just like that. Yeah. And this also what we're talking about proves my theory about traveling in time. If you travel back in time, the reason why you have the grandfather paradox is because, you know, they say, well, if you go back in time and kill your grandfather, that means mm. you shouldn't have been born to travel back in time in the first place. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. When you travel back in time, you've changed frequency. And when you change frequency, you're traveling back in time, but on a different timeline. So you're not on the yeah. same timeline that birthed you. You're on a timeline 
that you exist and everybody else exists, but you're on a timeline that is not yours. So you can go back in time and kill your grandfather because you're not, you're in the multiverse. Now you've shifted from your frequency to another when you travel back in time. Uh, you know, so these are the things that kind of, but I really do believe that um, there are multidimensionals. There are spiritual beings. They have developed this spiritual technology that allows them to and just reappear anywhere they want in a galaxy or in the universe uh, because they understand the connectivity of things and, and that everything is connected. So they use quantum entanglement to travel. They don't travel with warp drives and rockets and, and you know, QM drives and all that. They travel with um, uh, through quantum entanglement. They entangle with the location they want to arrive at and they're there, you know? Yeah. Uh, and all information is available to them because all information exists in space-time. Every thought that we're thinking right now is leaving our skull as an electromagnetic wave right now, permanently. And when that wave leaves out of your skull into space-time, and this is proven because I could put a cap on your head right now, connect it to a computer, and every thought you're thinking goes through a computer because it picks up the light waves. It's all, this is a light universe. So all those yeah. light waves which are invisible to the naked eye because we, we're so limited, we only see 1% of the spectrum, they go out there. So all information, every thought, every idea, every concept exists in space-time already. There's beings out there that have the capability of just matching frequencies and getting and downloading information. And humans do it too. We just don't realize that we're doing it. Oh, I got a great idea. Oh, I got an invention. You might have just matched the frequency of information that already exists and you were able to discern it, download it, digest it, and then act upon it to make it like I invented a battery. Well, maybe I just downloaded the information that already existed on how to make this battery. Nick, and I was yeah, like, Nick, Nick, I like Akashic that. Record. Akashic, Akashic record, right? Records. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Akashic record, yeah. 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 Crazy, yeah. Exactly. Cool. 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 I got a. I got another question here. Um, just going to my notes. Sorry. Um, um, you know Erica Badu, of course, right? Oh yeah. The, yeah, the she artist, yeah. My so, oh, awesome. So she did that song on and on, like her kind of her breakout song in, in mm-hmm. like uh, the late late nineties, I think. Yeah, late nineties. Mm-hmm. And then she sang. It was just she had this thing. So I grew up in New York City. And, you know, like you said, like when you grew up with you, could, you it, the thing is, I think it's important when you when you find the esoteric in a sense, it's, it, I think it's important to have a crew, by the way. I just want something that I'm throwing out there. I think you, <laughs> you can't just be, be by yourself and sit yeah, in like a room and you need you need to have theories and have a good crew that also has their angles. And then you guys find some kind yeah. of middle ground and everybody humbles and says, it gets you can get into just good good argumentative material argumentative material and it helps each other to evolve you know but outside of that i grew up with kind of a crew in my day too and um Mm -hmm. and you know when erica badu came around like yes finally like an artist that's kind of like speaking what we're speaking you know in a sense and um so she says this line and on and on it's um the man that knows something knows that he knows nothing at all Mm-hmm. And um, and I, that line always resonated with me. So basically, what I'm, what I'm going to ask is like, with all the books and overwhelming data on the esoteric, um, sometimes I feel it's just really bringing back, bringing bringing me back at least to the simplest of things. And if mm-hmm. anything, it's predominantly teaching unconditional love of everyone and everything in this in, in this existence. What's what's your thoughts on that? Man, so. you hit it right on the head. Okay. Over a thousand books later now, 20 years of yeah. reading, studying, researching, yeah. Yeah. digesting. And I don't just read books. I break down the root words. Sure. I go into yeah. like, what are the, what was it previously translated from? I dig deep into information, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to biblical texts and Quran and everything else. I really dig deep to go back into the, the source material because that's all plagiarized material. 
Mm-hmm. But I come up with the same exact ending every time. Unconditional love, empathy, and that's conscious extension. How do you become yeah. an adept initiate? How do you become an ascended master? It's all about how you treat yourself, how you treat loving yourself, how you love others, and how you have empathy for others, and how you are in service to others. When you put those things together, all of a sudden you're in a utopia. You're in a, you're in a golden age. So all the clues have been left behind. Unfortunately, they've been manipulated and twisted for control purposes and things like that. But the underlying story is literally always the same. What can you do for not only for yourself, but for mankind? What can you bring to society? How can you help people? How can you embrace everyone? That's really what the message always comes back to. And so now I see how they have a golden age. Because when everybody gets into synchronicity with that same process, that same thought pattern, everything is golden, you know, and it happened. It already happened four times just on this planet. And it's going to happen again. We're going into the fifth age. The age of Aquarius starts in 2025 and we're in the silver age. The golden age is the next you know, swing around the yuga cycle. So we're, we're in that beginning stage and that push. And I think the age of Aquarius officially starting in 2025, we're going to see some, some amazing things. We're seeing the rumblings now of mankind's consciousness and this awakening on the planet and a lot of the things that are going to be cast away and thrown aside as we move towards this age of Aquarius. And I think that's going to be the beginning of a real true, heavy, big time awakening that's going to really usher in a lot of unconditional love and start that process as we try to speed up towards that golden age. Great. Awesome. When I hear both of you talk about unconditional love and about how that's, that's the sort of um, ultimate goal, it makes me think of the word harmony and the various meanings of the word harmony, right? Because, uh, on a on a sort of physics level, you know, har- harmony applies to the various frequencies that that yep. mesh well together, right? So we know in our physical realm that light and sound are frequencies, but um, Billy, you were also saying that thoughts and and you know all these other things um, between sentient beings uh, mm-hmm. have uh, have frequencies as well. And if all those frequencies are in harmony, then maybe the universe ends up in right. a better place. Exactly, that's totally true. And because our energy patterns, our, our energy frequencies, they ride out of our body, out of our heart center, uh, and like a Taurus energy field. They broadcast out. Mm-hmm. It's real science. We have mm-hmm. this field that broadcasts out 8 to 10 feet, sometimes as much as 15 feet. So as you're walking through even a crowded room and you can say, oh, you know, it's bad energy in here. You're not. No, you really yep. feel the bad energy because yeah, yep. you're field interacting <laughs> with other people's fields. When I was at MIT studying neuroscience, uh, I learned from uh, the professor, uh, Dr. Tara Swart, uh, something that I had theorized and never really had confirmation until that day. And I was so happy that I was there because she talked about the fact that if somebody is stressed out, their energy field is also carrying cortisol that's emitted from the body. So this cortisol is in their field. And if you're close to that person, their cortisol gets trapped in your field and gets sucked into, into your body and raises your stress levels. So this is real science, guys. This is MIT, you know? So we're talking about just being around somebody that's uh, angry, sick, uh, afraid, whatever. Those, those hormones in their field are now being downloaded into your field and sucked right into your body, affecting mm-hmm. your physiology. 
Uh-huh. You know, so it's like everything is frequencies and understanding. So when, when you have a massive amount of people that are thinking a specific kind of way and starting to understand things a, a specific way and saying, you know what, bump this system. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to I'm going to see what I can do to help this person. When that, and when that becomes viral, which should gradually, very slowly, but it is, now it just starts to become a positive virus that takes over the planet. Everybody just becomes on this same conscious frequency. You have no way, shape, or form that you can't become a golden age civilization. Technologically, spiritually, you know, emotionally, everybody's going to eventually get to that point. That crescendo is going to come in a positive direction. It can't be stopped. Because one thing I learned studying darkness and light, which is primarily what the Emerald Tablets is about, darkness and light and battling it. We're not really battling it. It's really more like that Kung Fu master talked about how do you manage darkness? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, he goes, I'm not teaching you how to fight. I'm teaching you how to, how to manage the darkness, how to manage yeah. this evil. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the more I look into it, I realize that, wow, we are in a situation where eventually police officers and judges and uh, politicians and scientists and people in control of these big projects, they're all going to become conscious. So what happens when all these people are conscious, the system begins to then slowly evolve and change and redevelop itself into a, a, a better a better system. And eventually, you know, the whole economy is going to, is going to change as well. When 9-11, before 9-11 happened, there's a computer program out there. Forget the name of this computer uh, computer program. You can look it up on Google. There's a group of scientists that were studying conscious frequencies and of the planet. And before 9-11, they started seeing this random number of calculator was calculating the frequency of consciousness on the planet started to escalate and build up before 9-11. And then when 9-11 came, of course, it crescendoed. So they found out through this study that uh, the human body is receiving a stream of information. The human avatar is receiving a stream of information of frequency, if you will, and then everybody starts to pick up on it and it starts to literally uh, manifest itself in every person. So I started looking into that deeper when I found out about this study and I found a study that was done several times around the world in different facilities where they would put people in rooms, they would put the cap on with electrodes and pick up their electromagnetic frequencies from their brain, connect it to a computer, and they would put pictures on the screen. And these pictures... This is just one version of the test. They had all kind of random tests that would blow you away. But one of them, so the pictures would be a bed of roses, a sunset, a woman, you know, embracing a child, somebody getting stabbed to death, somebody getting shot. So it was a mm-hmm. mixture of peace and tranquility and horror, right? And so they would space these images 10 seconds apart. What started happening in every single case study? Up to seven seconds in advance, the human brain was sending to the computer, what the next image was going to be. Wow. Okay. Mm. Now, what does that tell you? We're not living in real time. So what we assume to be what we consider real time in the third dimension is actually a delay, a delay between the consciousness stream that comes in through the multi multi dimensions to synchronize with this avatar body that we pick up that frequency that says it's, this is us. It's just one consciousness, but we're just a freak. We're like a dial on the radio. You tune to 99.1, 99.2, I'm 0.1, you're 0.2, you're 0.3, so on and so on. Mm. We pick up the frequency. But what's happening is consciousness has already observed this situation up to seven seconds before we're able to discern it. Okay? This is mind-blowing stuff. So you begin to realize that how do you then now... I call it like you're surfing a wave. So there's a wave and, and you can be on top of the wave when you're awake. 
You can be at the top of this crested, and as the wave goes across the ocean, you're at the top. You're closest to the real time. You're not in real time, but you're closer to it. Your discernment speed is that much faster because you're picking up right from the universe and discerning it a lot faster. The other people are at the bottom of the wave, and it crashes on them. And so when the wave crashes, that's when they go, oh, this just happened. So they're really behind. Mm. So the people that seem to be able to manipulate and move and manifest in the best way in different areas of their life are riding that particular frequency from the top of the wave. They found a way to get to the top of that wave and get that information more real time. You know, even looking at your computer screen and looking at me, it seems almost real time. But the time that it takes the photon to bounce from your computer, to hit your retina, to go to the back of the brain and decipher what you're seeing, to say, oh, that's Billy talking, that yeah. takes time. So by For the time sure. you get that, I've already moved. You see? <laughs> yes. So that's what makes quantum encryption so good. You can, because yeah. you can't know the spin rate and the location of an atom at the same time. Because when you try to find a location, you got to ping a photon off of it so the, 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 the atom moves. Yeah. You know? Right. So, yeah. you know, we're not in a real time dimension, we're delayed. Right. right. And the best that we can do is get in sync. So that with our universal conscious, consciousness so that we can get as close to real-time data as we possibly can so that yeah. we can be able to discern things and make better decisions and foresee upcoming events, foresee the situation happening and be able to tap into that energy field that has all the information in it versus being the person at the bottom of the crest where it just crashes on them and then they go, oh, I, this just happened. You know, that delayed response. This is why so many people are so far behind in a lot of things and they're waiting for that wave to crash versus learning how to ride that wave. Mm, that's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. 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 I mean, this is, we, you've given us a, a, a ton of, of knowledge and things to chew on. Yeah, um, Armand, yeah. I don't know if there's anything else. I mean, if anything, I was going to just say, Billy, if there's anything that you yeah, want do you have to... Any more, do you have any more time or... Uh, well, I, got or? About, uh, I could probably spare about another five minutes. Okay, I'll do, a, I'll do one quickie then, um, if that's yeah. okay with you. Yeah, yeah. One, like just one more question. Atrek, do you have any more or no? No, no I'm good. I'm ju- I was just going to okay. say after your question, Billy, if there's yeah. anything that you want to uh, promote or announce or anything okay. that you want a viewership to see, let's make sure yeah. we you know, keep a little bit of time for that. But yeah, Armand, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah real, it's, I guess, yeah, as, as quick as you can, it's a long subject. But yeah. um, um, I, had a, I had a Zachariah Sitchin question. I'm just going to skip that thing. So, but, um, <laughs> but, um, um, so we talked earlier about the law of one books about people that have their medium, they're somewhat mediums, which means they can sit there and go into a deep state of meditation and through that deep state can get, can speak to interdimensional beings uh, from mm-hmm. another dimension. It just sounds outlandish, but I'm just going to have to explain it as it is. And um, they are, they sit there kind of like laid out in a bed. And then there's a couple other people in the room that speak through that person. And that person mm-hmm is basically channeling mm-hmm. the, the somebody else from some from other space and time from somewhere and they but they're that person they're able to speak in the language of english i guess let's say it's a person from england yeah. <laughs> and they <laughs> they are able to uh just have a conversation and I've, I've read the law of one books and stuff like that and the thing that blew me away with the most with those books is that First of all, there's five volumes. It's this one woman. She's doing all the channeling. It's yeah. insanely detailed. Like yeah. if somebody was making this up, I mean, mm-hmm. it was years of this woman's life. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's so insanely detailed on what Alain and you were discussing, which is frequency and, and uh, light mm-hmm. and sound uh, being all matter and frequency. They go through that so much in those books. I'm like, there's no way that like 
in a sense, she's just sitting there making it up. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, so, I, don't think that, I don't think you can. I don't think you can just babble out that detail. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. And what I want to come, what I want to come around to, and the, the question is that the interesting thing. So these books were written in the early '80s, mm-hmm. and now many things in science. We're talking third over thirty years ago. There's things I've read in that book that I mentioned to people after I read those books that have now come as scientific fact. And right. they were in those books. She channeled that information back then. And I find that fascinating. So what's, fascinating. what do you think about that? What do you think about that? It's 1000% real. Because okay. um, if your mind is outside of space and outside of time. And I learned this in remote viewing. I was trained in remote viewing by Major Ed Dames, Project Stargate. Okay. They wrote, they, yeah. They've got movies about this man. In, in, yeah. you know. um, yeah. So um, the minister goats is one of them. But so through that training, you can you can send your mind not only outside of you know where you are on this earth and outside of your body, but you can send your mind to even other dimensions and other times. So mm-hmm. the fact that somebody can get into a dream, a semi-sleep, semi-awake dream kind of state where they're awake but they're sleeping, but they're not, you know, that that semi-state where they can they're able and open to get and receive information. It's to me, it's not even far-fetched that the human brain, which is like a tuning fork, we have millions of magnetite crystals in our brain millions of them so if we've got millions of magnetite crystals and we learn now that crystals uh can transmit and receive information crystal set radios right what's stopping a entity from a higher dimension from sending a frequency that can be picked up by the crystals those crystals in our brain inter interact with something called the neurocorrelates of consciousness that's three giant neurons that wrap around the inside of the skull. And guess what? When you look at them on a MRI, guess what it looks like? A crown of thorns. That's inside of all of our heads. We have the crown of thorns. It was really an esoteric huh. message that was being yeah. talked about in the Bible, not a real crown of thorns. Mm. So we have this crown of thorns. It's connected to these magnetite crystals. And so those two things together, literally, and and, and, the four, and the frontal cortex, along with those three, the neocortex, I'm sorry, the neocortex, neo from the matrix, that's yeah. what mm-hmm. they call the neo. Because it has to do with spatial reasoning and, uh-huh. and, and manipulation and manifestation. So mm-hmm. those three things together allow the ability to uh, receive and download a frequency and then decode it. Okay, and we're all walking around with that machine inside our, inside of our body right now, that decoding machine. So for somebody to get into the right frequency consciously to receive information, to me, it's not even outlandish because to me, we all do it every single day and we don't, we're, we aren't even aware of it. This person is actually aware of it and able to now decode and decipher the information and say, okay, blah, 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 blah. And the amount of information that was given out over that amount of time, that's very detailed and very extremely Quantum physics scientific is not just random blogging, blobbing. And just like in my book, Companion of the Animal Tablets, the reason why this book is a bestseller is because I stop you where Thoth is talking and I break down the quantum physics. I break mm-hmm. down the science. I break down what we have technologically now that matches to what was being talked about in the ancient past that this gentleman is talking about. For example, he talks about using photons and cymatic frequencies to create, to manifest bricks and stones. Well, now... I, then I bring up the science article where just a few years ago in, uh, in the UK, they discovered a group of scientists got together and discovered how to turn lights into solid matter for the first time. We're, we're just, you know, 
we're just rediscovering everything. There is nothing mm. new under the sun, so to speak, just like Ecclesiastes mm. in the Bible. That's what it says. There's nothing mm. new under the sun. That's a very true statement. It's mm. a rediscovery of everything that already was here, everything that already existed. If an EMP bomb blew up over America and knocked out all of our devices, we'd have no nuclear fallout because it's going to give us an electromagnetic pulse, cell phone mm. dead, computers dead, all the transistors dead and everything. Now, what's going to happen? First generation is us of this catastrophe. We're going to remember all the technology. We're going to try to fix some things here and there. But overall, man, that level is going to be hard to hard to come back from. We have now a second generation, right? A baby comes up. We grow up. They grow up. We know how to use cell phones. We can't reproduce the cell phone. They don't even care what a cell phone is. Now, they have a kid. <laughs> By the third generation, man, it's, we're growing crops. We don't care. We're not even worried about this stuff anymore. The whole reset starts, and then you got to come back up again. So you go down, right. and then you come back up. See, rebuild. This is the cycle that happens over and over again. And we've or, only or, been alive or, this or, or, the, or that or that wave is inverse. What you just said, yeah, in, in a right, sense, exactly. the going the going up is the growing the crops. The going yeah. down is the cell phone. <laughs> I like that. I like that, man. No, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, there's a certain level of peace and tranquility when simplicity. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and when, yeah. by the way, when you when you talk about rediscovering, or or yeah, when you talk about rediscovering, uh, as if to say that the knowledge was there before. Let's not forget the, the 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 etymology of the word discover, right? To remove the cover, discovering actually means unveiling something that yes. was already there but that was veiled. So what we yes, even right. the word that we use for discovery implies <laughs> yeah, that true. the knowledge was there before and it was covered. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's good. That's a good one. That's, that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. So it's really so, amazing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, well, really, th thanks so much. It, uh, yeah. You mentioned the book yes. a couple of times, but if there's anything you want to plug to, to people who might be discovering you uh, sure. <laughs> here with us, just let yeah. us know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we have uh, Forbidden Knowledge TV. Here's Forbidden. my mug, Forbidden Knowledge TV. Okay. We're on. Uh, Roku. I don't know how to get this said. We're in Roku, yeah, we got Amazon it, yeah. Fire TV, yeah, yeah, uh, Google Play, iOS. Android, doing everything, guys. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, what's amazing is it's conscious TV. It's like a conscious Netflix. Over a yeah. thousand shows of great conscious content. It's not just me. Even there's a lot of me on there, but there's <laughs> hundreds of lecturers, workshops, classes, seminars, even documentaries. Documentaries that I've been in. Documentaries that done by other people science documentaries, physics documentaries, esoteric wisdom documentaries, and even mm -hmm. nature documentaries, leopards and lions and octopus and you know, all this stuff, elephants. I and mean, we got a lot of great stuff on, on the uh, network and it's growing every single day. And uh, it's a three-day free trial. And every month I give away a brand new computer to one of the lucky subscribers. So if you're an active oh, wow. subscriber, I just randomly pull out a name and that's, you know, they're on the active list, they win a computer. In January, I'm going to give away a whole car, a brand new car in January. You have to be an active subscriber for six months or more. And that one person will randomly win a brand new car. Uh, and just a little while ago, I gave away a brand new, I don't know, put it away probably, a brand new computer monitor, 21-inch flat screen monitor for a computer. So I just went through these random giveaways for subscribers to give back something to them so that word of mouth to me is better than advertising a lot of money on Google. Mm -hmm. I think I'd rather give it back to the people. The book is still a bestseller on Amazon, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets by Billy Carson. It's uh, been a bestseller now for 17 months straight in ancient civilizations on Amazon, doing phenomenal numbers. I think there's 500 positive 
five-star reviews or something like that or close to it on Amazon. It must mm-hmm. resonate with a lot of people because all those people mm-hmm. who bought the book, I think 20,000 people have bought the book. A lot of them didn't even know who I was. They just, uh, you know, they liked the book. And uh, I have my own social media platform now, Unite the 99, U-N-I-T-E-T-H-E 99, which is a social media app. It's got the best, in my opinion, of Facebook and Instagram combined, and it allows people to go on there and post without suppression and without shadow banning. In other words, if I post something and then you post something after me, they're going to see mine first. If you post something before me, they're going to see yours first and mine's after, the way I think it should be, instead of Mm -hmm. this crazy AI algorithm type thing. We don't like that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know. (laughs) And and, and of course, if you're posting, you know, if you're trying to teach people how to make a bomb, well, that has to be deleted. (laughs) But (laughs) pretty much have a free reign to talk about topics and have educated conversation. You can't bully people. You can't tell people how to make a bomb. Other than that, you know, you have to be suppressed on the network, um, you know, and so it's just common sense stuff. You know, people are in there posting great positive vibes and having a great time. Uh, there's nobody hopping in, coming and feeds and attacking anybody or treating anybody like an mm. idiot. Whatever reason mm. so far, uh, those people that have joined have, and it's free, have been just very positive and it's doubling every week in size. So, Great. I think we're at 12,000 uh, members on the app right now, and it's five stars on Android and five stars on, on Apple as well. So that's cool. it, man. Congrats, dude. Amazing. Congrats. So happy you, you, you're doing, like you say, you call it a duty. And I'm, I'm, we're, very, we're very blessed to be in the, the presence of your duty. You know what I mean? Hey, everything, you, that you're, everything that you're – it's amazing. So we really appreciate yeah, it. Man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. We got to do this again, guys. It was, this was a great conversation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're doing. We got a part two for sure. We can definitely part two. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all. Get y'all later. Yeah. All right. Take care, man. Bye.